Rocking chair, chair sessions. sessions. With Elisa Di Batista, Maria Teresa Barber. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another rocking chair session, RCS rocking chair session, I should say, with artist Jose Luis Garcia to celebrate our second to last um, of the 50th, I would say, editions, volume 149, before we hit our next goal of 150. So thank you so much, Jose, for sitting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Maria Teresa, do you have a question to kick us off with today? Because I see you smiling. <laughs> yeah, I... I was just thinking when I was preparing for the for the interview, I was thinking of the time you came by uh, my studio at the Bakehouse. I think the first time was like an open studio or something like that, right? It was like an open event. And then yeah. and then you came by with your students, which was really um, special to me. And they were photography students, but not all of them. They did also like they were mixed media. I remember I was kind of nervous because... Photography is definitely important in my practice, but it's it was not there was not too much photo based work up at the moment. But we had a really beautiful conversation. I really loved it, and um, yeah, maybe we start with that. Do you want to talk a little bit uh, about you know your students and your classes and how that came about that you're teaching at FIU, right? Mm -hmm. No, actually, I'm teaching at Miami Dade College. Miami Dade. I'm an alum of FIU, which is, you know, somehow my toes are in all the different pools. Um, I got my undergraduate degree from New World School of the Arts, so I'm part of that kind of school of people. I got my graduate degree at FIU and since been teaching at Miami-Dade College and Broward College most recently. Um, and the time when I saw you, I've gone to Bakehouse throughout the years, but really this last year of teaching, I've made it... Um, that much more important to kind of make connections out in the community and to really get students that are in the college level out in the field, seeing not just work in an academic space like the colleges, but also seeing where they have access to spaces, whether it's just to engage in conversation with different artists or the facilities. I mean, so many of us, it was crazy because this semester uh, we went to Bakehouse again with uh, visiting a different group of artists and it was the day before the online transition so so many of them were like it's such it was such a highlight typically going on these field trips but the fact that that was our last in class class was kind of um extra interesting mm -hmm. but yeah I, I love it and I think um my kind of practice does juggle between uh, the role of an educator and my own kind of practice um, which sometimes seeps into one another, but I try and keep them separate to a degree. <laughs> How was your experience with that transition? I mean, it's been two months of online teaching now, right? Yeah, it's it's been, you know, as challenging as one can imagine with anything. Um, I've really been one to lead with kind of empathy in a way where I know a lot of students that I uh, engage with, they're working as essential workers or working overtime and really would take classes in person and analog classes because my course is a black and white photography class um, because they're not necessarily um, digital or digitally oriented or 
um, set up to kind of succeed in this online modality. So I didn't want to kind of bombard anyone with work. So what we did was we created visual diaries, kind of documenting this time, whether it was the hectic workflow, whether it was um, uh, I had students that were photographing Purell in numerous kind of ways of, you know, all these objects and um, circumstances that are kind of happening. And so even though uh, it severely shifted going from like anti-digital to only digital, um, we were able to kind of retain the spirit, which is, you know, photography has so many different entry points. And as a photographer, you're editing and cropping uh, a specific view at a specific moment in time. So it was great to kind of see these perspectives be, you know, comical and sometimes very heavy and, and deep, um, but to really see everyone's individuality show through the work rather than like tell everyone to take a portrait and a certain kind of lighting um, situation. So that's always exciting. Mm -hmm. I think it also has to do with the grade level. Sorry, go ahead, Maria. Uh, so uh, black and white, was it an analog class? So was it mainly film uh, that you were actually teaching? And how were you able to translate that to the quarantine? And was, Right. Yeah. So, so the class is a black and white darkroom class. Um, and so there was a complete shift in that all of our film, all of our access to the facilities was completely removed. Um, there was really no, um, I have no idea why that went off. I'm so sorry. No um, worries. Okay. <laughs> so it completely shifted in that we had to, we had spent half of the semester really learning this process. And right when we can go running with our creativity, we had to now kind of adapt in a different way. Um, so students had to work with whatever cameras they had accessible. Some students would use kind of those Instax um, point-and-shoot Fujifilm cameras, some using phones, some of them using digital cameras, whatever they had access to. And that was what, um, what was the biggest shift. But at the same time, a lot of these students are more digitally oriented, so they found it to be a relief that at least it wasn't like they were learning uh, – all the details of Photoshop and Lightroom and JPEGs that, you know, they could just keep thinking more conceptually and creative, uh, creatively. Mm. I also discovered that my iPad actually has a really good camera because like sometimes the limitations also make you think about other ways of taking photographs. Right. And like, I would usually photograph sculptures always on a white background but because I was in quarantine I all of a sudden put them on like the the kind of like very textures uh, a roof of the laundry shed and would use that as a background you know and use my iPad for like I would never do that if I had my camera, you know, but everything is in my studio as well. So I think uh, this idea of like how limitations and especially also I feel like very emotional times, you know, where you go through a lot of anxiety, you go through a lot of like struggle and just to, especially if they are essential workers, you know, they would go through a lot of, you know, uh, just like the, the fear of, you know, going to work, right? And kind of like getting through the days. And so I think that is also like really interesting. Uh, like it's going to be interesting to see the work that we created looking back, right? Uh, onto that quarantine. Sorry, Elisa, I'll let you talk now too. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I, I think that these are all um, valuable, um, valuable points that have to be discussed in the present because um the last time this happened was obviously you know the spanish flu and it was so long ago and even though there are written records of it 
Um, the fact that there will now be obvious audio and digital records of this, um, not just in the arts, but just across the board in all other areas. Um, if it does happen again in the future, whatever that might look like, um, I, I guess maybe hopefully the individuals that experience it won't be as scared, will be more informed and be aware that it's just, you know, having to come together and cleanliness and just like be vigilant and that type of thing. Um, so I, I agree, Maria, all those things have to be said. And, and Jose, I think it's incredible that you as a professor are being understanding and shifting and you're still doing photography, but it's not the black and white, you know, room. But I mean, it's still conceptualization, fitting, you know, certain subjects and, and the students still have to do the assignments, correct? So I think it still has to do that, right? My question, <laughs> Maria, with that whole precursor, um, was for you, obviously, Jose, because you're the one in our invisible imaginary rocking chair, which is um, there's a series, which is the first series of yours that I actually experienced in person. Um, it was at the show that was curated by um, artist and curator Barbara Bolini Roca. Um, it was a series titled No Place Like Home, I believe, and it had um, you blended painting with photography so um we know you're a photography professor and um you also dabble in painting so my question is um in undergrad which one did you gravitate more towards more and also how did the coming or clashing of the two um medium come together for you so when i was in undergraduate over at new world i was creating very traditional black and white prints Photographs that were compositions of the domestic space and home, photographs of framed photographs in the home, photographs of couches and chairs. Um, so seeing the website and those kind of close up photographs resonated with me on a kind of different level, but very kind of quiet, um, intimate, detailed work. It was, you know, in being at New World, which is a fairly experimental school and the photography programs led by Maria Martinez Cañas, who really just kind of plays with the gamut of photography. Um, and so while I was there, I was working pretty traditional. I was in going to FIU and then working in this new space that was pretty traditional that I completely abandoned this notion of even using a camera for some time. So my practice then became about destroying photographs, burning them, the stories behind them, kind of approaching it on a more conceptual level. Um, and the series that you're talking about, I used white acrylic paint. So I'm the furthest thing from a painter. I, I would identify most like maybe a, a photographer, printmaker, or this kind of catch-all photo-based artist um, term. Because I would say that series is the only series that I've maybe dabbled with painting. And uh, the photographs are depictions from my neighborhood from maybe now a decade ago. And I used white acrylic paint to go over the structure of the home, creating almost like um, an erasure, almost like white out, blocking off these homes. And it's funny that you start off or even mention that because when I was in FIU, I made this work and it kind of got shown in different places and spaces. But I was thinking of just how re relevant that imagery is, at least today, you know, this home being this vessel, this enclosure, but it could on both ends either be um, something guarded and kind, but it could also be like we're entrapped and we need to get out of this space. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that work. 
in their present. Well, when you look at them, um, something that's very common in Miami, I don't know if Maria has this in Austria, but the, when you tend to house to um, not disinfect it, but, you know, to fumigate it, to get rid of termites or bugs or whatever, you still encase the house with this like tarp that's different kinds of colors depending on the company. But it kind of has that effect of it where it's like a, a, a veil over the house, like a, a kind of like a ghost shell over the house that it's kind of like, um, like you say, protecting it. But at the same time, it's it's um, keeping the insides from <laughs> coming back out. Um, Maria, you had a question. Yeah, it was also reminding me of, um, you know, this um these ideas of, of gentrification that has been going on more in the little Haiti area than I don't know where where you took these photographs, but where one of the first steps is always usually to paint over the more um, cultural, you know, identifiable murals that usually the local artists do there. Like, for example, Search Toussaint in, in Little Haiti that tells stories of immigration or of like, you know, Haitian symbolism and, 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 you know, people of color, you know, you know, people of that community um, being celebrated. And so for me, also that came to mind like this kind of like whitewashing of neighborhoods or maybe it's a little too literal, but um, forgive me if, if it's too, if I'm taking it too literal, but it definitely came to my mind, you know, like this, um, this getting rid of identity through this white color, right? And I, I feel, I mean, as a psychologist, I always see the house also as a, as a symbol for identity, Right. I mean, it is. I think Freud even said that, or definitely Jung. Right. It's like this symbol of like um, your, you know, your foundations and your kind of like internal structure. So I thought that was also. I, I think that was probably more where I was going. Also, um, you know, more like this. Um, what what the symbolism means also on a on a more Jungian, you know. Wipe Jungian kind of thinking, but um, definitely, you, definitely, this this whitewashing uh, also came to my mind. So, um, yeah, talking about neighborhoods, Maria, you kind of talked about that. Where did you grow up, Jose, specifically in in um, or Jose Luis, I should say, in the area of Miami? Where did you grow up? So I I've been born and raised in Hialeah, Florida, and that's where the photos were taken, um, and that's where I'm speaking to you currently. So. Um, I want to say we've resided in the same house for at the very least 23, maybe 25 years now. Um, and those photos are of houses that are within the kind of one or two block radius. I think you might be our second Hialeah representative. I think the first one might have been Andre Martinez. <laughs> so that's pretty cool, local and representing um, Hialeah. Um, I wanted to discuss also um, with you, Jose, uh, the series titled... Um, it's the most recent one, I believe. It has like the, or not, it's like buried snapshots and it has to do with like, um, you still provide us as a viewer with an image, um, but the image has a texture to it, which is why I'm very attracted to it. And the texture I do believe is sand. Could you run us through that series a little bit, please? Of course. So uh, around the same time where I was making these no place like home, white out houses, I was thinking of just how place embeds itself into imagery and memory. So I look back at some photographs that were quite literally buried away um, that depicted my kind of childhood out on the beach with my kind of um, close family. And so I went 
one day um, after FIU has Miami Beach Urban Studios right off of Lincoln Road. Um, so I just walked to the beach one day and I had these snapshots with me and I was just waiting for class. And, you know, somehow it was inseparable, like the notion of like what, what the beach and the shore is in, you know, a more philosophical level, but just in my specific history. And so going back to kind of Key Biscayne and seeing the sand and not really knowing what informs what was, I think, um, what started that work. And it was quite literally just having a stack of photos by sand while just sketching, meditating, thinking, and it all just went downhill after that. In terms of um, growing up in Hialeah, how was that for you? Um, were you um, attracted to more like artistic things? Did you participate, you know, culturally, like with your relatives? Like you mentioned, like the ocean being such a huge part. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, at least here in, in Hialeah, in terms of art, I, in high school, was able to work with Tom Virgin, who's like one of the kind of benchmarks, I think, in Miami, especially in printmaking, but let alone just art. So he was my high school art teacher. Wow. I also mm-hmm. with Anya Musoel, who's an accomplished photographer in her own right. And so I really had like this, uh, this support of kind of the educators in my life but that they weren't just necessarily art educators or art teachers like I had previously experienced they were out in the in the world and in the sphere and really operating in that way and so I I really kind of start off with there that that really was what defined my path or career as an artist and a lot of people are kind of shocked to hear that that was within the public school system and that was at Hialeah Senior High School that it wasn't necessarily um you know, an art academy or something like a New World School of the Arts, which is great. But, you know, we had an amazing dark room. We had an amazing ceramic studio. We were, I think later on, they became a magnet program. Um, But that was really what shaped me artistically. And in terms of like family or just um, personal influences in the work, uh, I was raised by my grandmother. So there's a lot of this uh, tied to like my own family history, through photographs, um, through storytelling, and yeah. The memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I want to uh, jump in there because I also saw this uh, one series of photographs where you actually used the frames from your home right and also like the pictures were like it looked like historical pictures from probably relatives or your ancestors or like just like the for probably your grandmother's generation and older right can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that and and, of course mm -hmm. so uh that body of work was titled sentiment and they're photographs of photographs which sounds paradoxical but it's a picture of a picture. And like uh, Maria Teresa just mentioned, they're framed photographs. So some of them have wooden frames, some more intricate floral frames. And then the actual photographs within them are some more contemporary photographs in the early 90s, ranging back as far as like the 1940s or so. Um, so there's sepia-toned images, images that have been rattled um, or kind of decayed with time to some extent. And the thought process behind that work was really, I think, what really led this exploration in my graduate studies, which was that these were all photographs of kind of um, important familial figures, my mother, my 
grandfather and my great grandmother and kind of seeing how all of these people are so much inherited within my identity, but it's through photography because I didn't have any uh, interaction with my great grandmother or my grandfather and my mother passed away when I was very young. So it was really through photography and images um, that I was able to kind of bridge a gap in a way. Okay. So it was paying kind of homage to this. Um, but what I think is so interesting about the project is that there is a autobiographical element, but it's really about just any framed photograph that anyone has up and kind of paying homage to family, whether it's in tradition and whether they're with you currently or away or past. But also it has to do with capturing, I feel, um, a location in time that no longer exists, as you said. And for example, the ones of your great grandparents, was that, was were those images from Cuba originally? From yeah. Over? Wow. Originally from Cuba, a very small kind of um, excerpt or selection of photographs. And um, secrecy, I think, lends itself to just like my um, my understanding of the kind of family archive. So it's not necessarily that these photographs are something that are showcased and talked about constantly. You know, for to some extent, there's a lot of grief attributed to it. So kind of having them up in glory and having that be the the story behind them or the way that we engage with them um, has been kind of our approach. Are their own stories you make. I actually got goosebumps when you said secrecy because um, uh, there are a lot of, I think, not just skeletons in the closet or familial ghosts that exist for a lot of people that do um, experience this kind of sort of um, this move from one place to another where you, you take as little with you as possible sometimes only what you really need to either survive or just like remember the most intimate kind of like memories and and precious items that you can carry but the rest is just left it's left behind and you don't always talk about it because of what it'll bring up so I think that um the photography series that you have um always have a sense of that where there's there's both a a presentation of what's going on right now because they are existing right now in the present through your photography but then it's also like what would happen then there's always like that push and pull i feel there's um that conversation happening i feel i don't know if you want to talk about that <laughs> that theme uh, yeah I, I think it's in both like levels it's like the duality of the work that it's so close yet so kind of detached that it does describe a person's facial features with like a, a keen awareness to detail yet there is no more information past what you just see visually. There's no titles for the individual photos other than the names of these people. But it's not necessarily that it's something where, you know, you're seeing the photograph as a support to an article or this elaborate explanation of the work. It's almost like that's either the window or mirror you want to um, look at and kind of engage with. And I think with the sand photographs, the buried snapshots and even the home uh, photographs where you don't know if it's being protected and covered or if it's being unveiled and revealing. So I think, um, as with anything, uh, the, what you choose to include, what you choose to not include in something, I think says a lot. And those that are, um, conscious of it or that can relate on a level sometimes pick it up immediately. Um, and I think that's, that's what the work should be about. It's not about me 
uh, and my family. It's just how images are used um, and how images are just so complex in our just culture in general. And I think you also create like a different layer by not using the original photographs, right? You are using photographs that you took, like you put your own lens to, you know, the image again. And then also in a way to kind of... Revisitation, yeah. Yeah, but it almost levels the playing field also, you know, it's kind of like you looking at all these different times and all these different like also processes right how how the photograph was made through how you make it now you know and it was like i don't remember what um paper you used or if it was uh um because you always write very carefully like uh if it's the sublimation die or the other one that i don't remember right now <laughs> but uh i thought it was interesting you know because i feel almost like i can see you look at your history but through taking the picture you're bringing it to your present in a way you know and it's your view in a way i don't know if that was the idea or a lot of the work before i felt kind of confident enough like even uh tying it to um personal narrative and kind of familial history on a deeper kind of level mm -hmm. um It was about photography and the way images has changed. Like you mentioned in that sentiment series, you have photographs that are kind of album imprints and then you have photographs that are drugstore prints and that they still all kind of exist on the same plane of, you know, they're held to a high regard. And it does say something about the way that photography and culture has shifted from kind of analog, tangible photographs that you would hold and that would get creased in tears and dust. This ephemera digital image that goes somewhere in a cloud and maybe one day it comes down from the cloud, maybe that's just it. So I think it, in that particular series, it was the preciousness of these people, but the preciousness of, of the medium. Yeah. And the medium and materiality is always, I think, how I am able to construct more of what the narrative of the particular story or images are. I've used Xerox copy machines before, so... One piece is a, fo a photograph that gets photocopied until it's just noise. So it's the fading of that woman, uh, right? The woman that is fading. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So and and that kind of each material has its own uh, history or its own kind of context. When you see a copy paper, crude, um, almost like a drawing. When you see small, tiny photographs that resemble a passport, kind of photo scale. I like to play with all of these ideas. Um, mm -hmm. So the material is different, and that's what I think puts me in an awkward position at times because uh, there are, you know, the term of a straight photographer where pictures need to be made with a camera and you're out in the world. And I think I am approaching it like a conceptual artist using the photograph as a vessel for something else. And at times I do uh, use my camera and have a medium format, beautiful Mamiya camera, um, but it's not, it's an extension of my eye for just one viewpoint. It's not the only way that I like to kind of engage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what comes to my mind is also always this idea of memory and how memories are actively created. You know, it's not just like a memory is not going to stay the same. And it also is always depending on how do I feel in the situation where I 
I create this memory and then how do I feel when I'm remembering, right? So there are all these layers, these psychological layers. I talk too much about psychology today, but um, it has to do with your work, I think. Um, but but I see that even even in the in the images that you bury in the sand, um, you know, where I also feel like it, it is as much as as covering or like also like the forgetting or the remembering you know uh the kind of erasing of the history or like the like am i am i trying to erase it or am i trying to actively kind of like try to bring it out again you know so um i feel like sometimes with with precious memories we are also trying to just keep remembering them so we won't forget right um because they started washing away a little mm -hmm. bit or or changed for some reason. Um, Jose, I wanted to ask you about, um, you kind of sort of tapped on it, which is a different processes you use within photography. Like you don't just do one, you kind of sort of, you know, you dabble, but it's still your vision and how you see things. Um, I want to talk about gelatin prints and how um, trying them for the first time, how that experience was for you in terms of a new process you had to learn. Um, and also the series you did um, titled Abuelita, Abuela, um, about your grandmother. Yeah, so like I mentioned at Hialeah High, we had a dark room. So I felt always, you know, as a creative, sensitive spirit, uh, I would draw uh, all throughout my kind of adolescence. But I wasn't one of, I never felt that attached to art because I didn't feel like a drawer. I didn't feel like a painter. I didn't feel like a sculptor. But the minute I kind of stepped foot in the dark room, before I even knew about film before I even knew about the way to make images, right? Um, I just knew in that kind of space that that was aligned with my way of thinking. Um, so I created a portfolio of work that I look back at now. And I, you know, I, I, I have a fondness for it and a level of understanding that I didn't have then, but there were photographs of just my friends uh, out in forests and parks. Um, my kind of circle of close girlfriends and it's crazy how at some way like I feel like those works even though photographically they don't look anything like what I have now but on a conceptual level it still is one of the the subjects I would photograph her name was Lydia and so it was Lydia in these forests by these trees and Lydia now is a master's degree botanist which was crazy that these photographs these portraits of her somehow were a precursor and it wasn't like we were saying oh, okay let's take a picture of you in a forest because that's what you're going to study one day <laughs> so it's all these kind of like weird um serendipitous moments so i think that space was really like conducive and and working with with anya which i remember when i was in fiu someone was like do you know this photographer your work you know has these nuances and it's crazy that just from an image you know, you see the history of the people you, you study with. The master and the student, yeah. And that uh, Abuela series was, I would say, the most um, meaningful project I did um, early on. You know, as an art student, you're kind of trying different, you're trying to learn different techniques, let alone encapsulate it into something meaningful for you. But those photographs I was taking at New World um, during Maria Martinez Cana's course and my grandmother suffered a small stroke. So it was around the same time of like her recovery and, you know, showing this kind of uh, moment that we had together. You know, she's very much, she's still alive. She's still with us. She's 92 and, and still a, a kind of source really for a lot of the artwork. But in that series, it was like, 
this precursor of things would have changed in that kind of semester. And I was grappled with what so many photographers deal with, which is being in the moment or taking this picture and what are the kind of ethics to it? Like this moment, do I want to remember this moment? Do I want to forget this moment? Will I beat myself up if I don't take this photograph? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why you get a sense of how close we may be, but the face and all these like really definitive um, keywords for for this person aren't there. And I think on some level, it could speak to just our relationship, if you want to psychoanalyze it um, on a deeper way. But just different generations, it could be, you know, male, female, it could be seen in so much. And I think I'm always interested in the questions that come up through the work. And that was just like a time where I had no answers. I didn't know what the work would be. And yeah, I would say that that was one of the big ones. And it is silver gelatin. in the dark room and probably um, the last project where I really just expanded solely in the dark room like that. Yeah, they feel very tender and um, respectful. And so I think that even though the face, as you say, is not revealed and um, it's not a, an important feature, I think, because you still see the tenderness and like the ruffles of the skin, like the little, you know, the, the, actual like the the little wrinkles and the the clothing you also see it in like the ruffles of the the mumu i would imagine and so it still feels very sweet it feels um like there was love present when in taking and capturing these pictures so i do i do think that comes across maria yeah for me it was also like the the fragility of the body you know and kind of like this almost being um being very much you know um how would you say that like if you're you're served on a silver tablet in a way you know you're kind of like you're you're out of control also uh, especially it was a stroke you said right so it's kind of like yeah. from this one moment to the other you're like not in control of your own body anymore and there was something in this in this photograph that felt like that you know that like um, I think when you when you took the picture of the legs of the, you know the knee from behind, uh, there was like something that was that 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 really hit me of this like, you know, not being, not being on control or the fragility of the body and of that, the, you know that there is like a a certain amount of time that we have on this earth something like there was like something really philosophical existential in that moment that that photograph hit me the most but also Uh, for me that photograph hit me kind of like an acceptance of it I think um when you do get to a certain age you don't you do always want to be like you want to be healthy and you care about you know how you eat and all that kind of stuff but it's also like this is my body you know there's an acceptance like this is where i am you know and, and so i felt there was a there was a mix of that as well um you can't control it but there's also a, a, an acceptance of what is yeah. and the beauty of it too oh, i mean the beauty yeah. of it is just like really incredible uh in these black and white photographs right where you uh like that you you feel a lot of the em- emotionality also but just the beauty of the body you know the aging body um which was very tangible in, in those photographs as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jose, <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, because um, I use text in my work, I wanted to ask you about the collaboration you did, that there were imagery and text and how that um, collaborative effort came about. Of course. So when I, 
I want to say in between undergraduate and grad school, the opportunity came up through Tom Virgin and book artist Carol Todero that they were part of a collective, the Sweat Broadsheet uh, Collaborative Broadsheet. Group. Mm -hmm. And so they were doing a second iteration um, of this collaboration between artists and writers. And so we met uh, at different spaces. We met at Turn-Based Press at the time, um, at the Freedom Tower as well, and did different presentations of our work. And it was almost like uh, like a show and tell where both writers were reading their poems and us artists were showing our visual work. And then afterwards, it was like, I need to talk to you. Um, oh, your work really resonated. Let's do something. And so with that, I was able to work with three different writers, two of which the work culminated in a broadsheet, one of which didn't, which is part of kind of the collaborative um, nature spirit. But it was great to work with someone that I felt really akin to on a poetic artistic level, which I do see my work as kind of visual poetry more than this theoretical art, um, if you will. And so working with them and just allowing either the words to guide me or some of the, um, the writers that I worked with, they did pieces based on my work or would send things where, oh, I, I saw this one element in your photograph. Here are these two poems that I just did. And some were really open into sharing the work and others were just like, okay, it needs, this is a poem that it's structured in such a way you can't put text on the right and the left. It needs to be one-sided. Um, and so that was, I think, an experience in just collaborating in general. And I always tell my students, you know, it's so uh, intimate to just bare your soul and put something up, let alone let someone also touch your work. And so if it's not with delicate and respectful hands, someone will just kind of crumble and steamroll your work. Um, and so I think that that would just show like there needs to be this trust between both collaborators. And once you accept that trust, we were all super kind of happy with what turned out. We did, I want to say like an addition of anywhere between like maybe 15 to 20 uh, prints. I kept a portion, the writer kept a portion, and then a portion of it went to the Center for Book Arts in New York and I believe the Jaffe Center for Book Arts in Boca Raton. And it's now part of a digital archive. And some of these, uh, one of the writers I worked with, I ran into her years later in Miami-Dade and we were both kind of working there. And so it was great that we remembered that one, you know, because we met, we talked a lot, but we met maybe once in a coffee shop and had an extended conversation and that still was still fresh in, in the person's mind. So, and I, I think it, it opened up in me this, this uh, desire to collaborate more and hear stories and almost like in the spirit of Bakehouse and visiting your studio um, was really like engaging with people you know, work in this kind of gallery up on a wall, just tacked. That's not necessarily what is meaningful to me as an artist. It's the conversations um, and the collaboration, even if it's just in how someone views something in a physical space. Yeah, I think that is really like the 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 big plus of the residencies because there can be there can be like a a collaboration that is just like you know an artist is bored and doesn't know what to do and walks around and comes into my studio at that moment and gives me like this one 
feedback that I needed to kind of continue, you know? And it's just like something very loose. Or you really like Elisa and I, we're stuck together now for three years doing this collaboration, you know? It can range from from anything, you know? Just like, and I think that the residencies are really like, uh, they, they're really a great place to, you know, have have these wide range of working together, you know, if it's just like a, a tip or a hint or you really start a, a, a whole project with each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially after school, um, which I kind of sort of want to delve into a little bit, Jose Luis, can you tell us about the transition in your experiences from being at New World and getting your BFA um, where you get to like, you know, think about a little bit of everything and take all kinds of classes to actually jumping into like your MFA, which is a three-year program at FIU, I believe. And you have to kind of sort of like hone in on what is your work about. Um, Can you tell us about that transition, please? Yeah. So when I finished my undergraduate degree at New World, I I got a job um, at the Freedom Tower at the Museum of Art and Design. At the time, the director was Jeremy Michalasek. And so they... I remember they had a photography exhibition that just completely resonated with me. Um, And I really wanted to kind of be out in the art world and in the field and think of things more curatorially as opposed to my own personal practice. So I, you know, found this great opportunity to, to work there. And I did learn a lot kind of about the institution and kind of operating in a more administrative level as opposed to on an artistic level which was what ultimately kind of shifted me in, okay, I'm going to move on and do a graduate degree because the rest at a certain moment, unless it's something like being hands-on with the curator or conceptualizing exhibitions or programming, if it's you know volunteers and just logistic concerns that d- didn't kind of expand on the beauty that was working in that space or that place. So, you know, after Basel was done, I kind of realized I want to be making work as much as I want to be in a space that houses work. And so then grad school just kind of took took me by storm. And it was really working um, collaboratively in the space, like like we've mentioned, you know, working with someone like Rhea that I graduated with, Rhea Leonard, where their work ethic is just so amazing that it's infectious. And so, you know, having that support um, was great. And Rio was also someone who went through the transition to from New World to FIU, like a couple other of us um, in this kind of place or space. <clears throat> Going from like a small conservatory to then this big university and, um, and you know, those experiences. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, I mean, because FIU is also like not just does not just have the art department. I mean, the art department is probably one of the smaller departments, right? I mean, there is this whole machinery that is this university. It's like a whole city almost, right? Which is like a very different feel, um, but also has a museum right there, right there and then, you know, Mm -hmm. and has like all these... um, This beautiful park and uh, like all, all other, you know other possibilities of collaboration you know interdisciplinary also that i think it's always cool if you have a school like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what was great about fiu was that my studio was kind of central on campus so i didn't get much engagement from actual art students but you would hear like music students also practicing in the same space so it was like a nice balance where 
program was the same 20 or so students for four years to then coming to this other program where maybe you see someone one semester and then your paths never intersect again, uh, I think helped me understand more of what this kind of a college experience is because New World's experience um, was something that isn't, rec- you know, isn't uh, reproducible even in, at the University of Florida that has uh, ties to New World. But I think it's just it's such a kind of special, small incubating space that then kind of going into this um, the bigger world of FIU was was challenging, but also beneficial, I think, in the long run, because so many students go to a program and whether you feel like you rule the school by the time you're the last in your last semester last year, then you go into this kind of open world where where do you go from there? There's always a bigger pool that is that that awaits. Um, I wanted to ask you, Jose Luis, the title and name Avant Garcia. Where did that come from for you? Where where did you invent that for your your website? <laughs> so I I I would say I, I would say I suffer with having a common name, but I love having such a kind of common name. Um, so I came from just trying to to have more of a presence. If someone searched my name, that you wouldn't get a thousand and one hits. Um, so I would supply off of the word of avant-garde. Uh, I wouldn't say that I have too many ties uh, to this kind of avant-garde um, way of working or history, but it's a play on words on that. Um, and yeah, I, I equally love my name as much. And I feel like even though it's a great domain <laughs> for my website, it's also something that I don't want to focus on too much. Yeah, I was curious because I was like, I was like, oh, Jose Luis Garcia. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to look for it through Yvonne Garcia. And I was like, I was curious because there are artists that do have pseudonyms or that do have a full name and then they call themselves something entirely different as their artistic name. So I was just curious about that. And it's it's a reality. So, yeah. Well, what what I think is is resonant on like uh, another layer, like these kind of meta narratives is that my grandfather's name is also Jose Luis Garcia and he's a subject of some of the work. So, you know, you have... I think my name to some degree plays in and it too is this kind of anonymity or this um, ordinariness that you might see in some of the work and some of the images. I also know about the multiplicity of a singular name representing more than one person. <laughs> uh, Maria just gave me the five minute signal. So I guess I wanted to ask you if you have um any upcoming projects you're dabbling with now or, or maybe um, potential things that you want to do into the distant future once everything goes back to hopefully somewhat um, normality, um, if you want to talk to us about that. Of course. In the fall, I'll be teaching two courses at Miami-Dade College, whether it ends up being an online modality, in-person or blended. It will be photography from beginning photography all the way to advanced. Uh, it's open to majors and non-majors. Same goes with Broward College North, um, which is quite far for everyone based down south. But anyone listening um, that finds themselves in the Coconut Creek area will be having two courses there. Same uh, varying modality, but open to all levels. Both spaces are equipped with a black room, a dark room for black and white photography. And we'll expand on that as much as we can. Um, Personally, I did have some projects that were 
that were going to happen, but have since gone to the COVID either. Um, hopefully we should pick up in some time with the Frost Art Museum on image transfer workshop with their chief curator of education, Miriam Machado, hopefully sometime soon. And um, I was also working with the Vasari Project and Stephanie Garcia uh, doing a series of uh, image transfer image transfer workshops on Robert Rauschenberg and an exhibition they had. So we did that for about a series of three or four workshops and we were going to expand one last hurrah um, this month before everything kind of changed. But hopefully once things are back to whatever sense of normalcy, we'll get to expand on that some more. Maria, can I ask one more question? (laughs) Go ahead. Okay, yay. Um, before Maria asks your final question, Jose, I wanted to ask about the desire to work at home versus maybe the pu- the future opportunity to actually take a residency and how you would feel about that. Um, I, I would love the opportunity to have a residency anywhere, whether it's kind of temp- temporary and a two-week residency or something year-long. Uh, I think it's nice that I have a space that I can work at home for however quaint and small, but really just going into your studio and opening up a book and just sitting in that creative space and energy is something that um, I miss from my studies that I think is integral in, in the art practice and something that I've been trying to kind of get my fix or fulfillment through teaching, but definitely a residency um, is Fingers crossed, manifesting soon. Yeah, I was thinking because the big house does have a, a dark room, so I was thinking that you doing photography that might be a, a future possibility. Um, what have you? Yeah, that'd be definitely fun. no, and that's why I'm such an advocate for for Bakehouse because outside of these academic institutions, you can be an honor, uh, an honorary fellow and use the space and students get a kind of tour of it and even for me and my colleagues anytime anyone asks of a dark room you know pointing in the direction of bakehouse so i hope to work in that dark room soon cool. yeah we're waiting for the bakehouse to open up but um yeah things are moving forward so let's hope for the best right okay so uh, my last question you've been sitting on an imaginary rocking chair and you act so sweet had your own rocking chair there right there to have a little image in your in your brain um and it grants you three wishes uh so it's an imaginary rocking chair with magical powers um you can wish for anything and everything but you have to say them out loud for them to come true so what are your three wishes world peace (laughs) um to go back to normal whatever that may mean um hmm. and to have this conversation in person sometime soon that would be lovely yeah we're gonna do that definitely because one thing that is missing is the photograph of you on the rocking chair so we are going to invite you over as soon as possible to take that picture as the cover for the podcast but um thank you so much for uh sitting down with us today and thank you you, elisa thank you maria and um we'll be catching you all next week and if you're interested in following Jose Luis and looking at his website, we will be connecting it to ours on rockingchairsessions.com. Have a good week and stay safe, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.
I thank you.